Hello, everyone, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Joining me today is Casey Harper, as he does every week, the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. How are you, Casey? Doing great, Dan, as always. You know, no no better Christmas present than to, to spend it here with you. I hear you. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Listen, Casey, we're recording this because of the holiday. We're recording this a day early. It is Thursday, December 22nd. We are just a few days away from Christmas. Casey, any uh, special Christmas traditions you want to tell our listeners about? Oh, Christmas traditions. Wow. Well, we, uh, you know, we always have to read the Christmas story on Christmas Day before opening presents, which as a kid really tests your inner fortitude. I don't know how you um, feel about that. Do you let, did you let the kids just run in there like wild animals? Did you do something to, you know, make them appreciate the, greater meaning or, you know, when I was little, really little, we didn't have this tradition. And so I would just barrel in there and, uh, like a piranha, but I don't know about you. Yeah, we do. We, we have a very structured Christmas, uh, gift opening. Wow. Sounds super fun, man. Well, so my, my kids agenda, are both, children. My, my, my kids are both a little older now. They're both uh, okay. college age students. Um, uh, and for the last, oh, eight, ten, ten years or so, probably 10 years. Uh, my in-laws have come over as visitors, stay with us on Christmas and on Christmas Eve. Just keeps uh, getting better and better. All right, keep going. Christmas. <laughs> Grand, grandfather uh, reads Twas the Night Before Christmas, even with my kids oh. now 18 oh. and 21. And That's they nice. get to open one gift on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, we do the exchange and it's youngest to oldest one by one. So that's our mm-hmm. Christmas tradition. And I know our listeners were excited to hear that. Yeah, I mean the agenda, the in-laws. Although I do love the the, the Christmas uh, poem that you referred to. So everybody has their own thing. I think it's the sentimental value, not necessarily any individual thing. So good point. And family, spending time with family. But there actually is some news to talk about today. In fact, as we speak, um, or just before we spoke, the U.S. Senate passed this massive, uh, like four thousand plus page. $1.7 trillion honestness bill. It has to go back to the House where there could be a vote today. It could be tomorrow, but um, there needs to be, a, if there's not a vote, um, some government funding uh, gets shut down uh, on midnight Friday. Tell us what's going on here. Yeah, this has been the story of the week by far. So uh, the U.S. Senate just voted with nearly 70 um, senators. They had about uh, almost 20 Republicans got on board for this one. Um, despite a lot of hullabaloo, a lot of um, squirming from Republicans, but many of those Republicans are in the House where Republicans don't have a majority. They have more power in the Senate, but just not the political will to oppose this bill, which, you know, uh, at least the la- latest version I saw was over 4,000 pages long. It's $1.7 trillion. It includes, I mean, when it's $1.7 trillion, nobody really knows what all is in there on, you know, page 3,782. But people, you know, there's top line numbers about Ukraine funding, for example, um, $45 billion for Ukraine. There's uh, almost $40 billion for disaster relief funding. Um, there's a lot of defense funding in there. So there's a lot of things we can go down. Some things are more controversial than others. And we can go through some of those things that we're getting people um, 
Republicans in the House in particular riled up. I mean, I know you're really excited about the Michelle Obama trail, man. You can't <laughs> can't wait to go on it. I know you're a big trail guy. So some of these things, you know, this this often happens um, with these big bills. There's so many things get thrown in there. Uh, nobody really even knows what's in it, let alone can get the kind of political capital and uh, momentum to oppose it. And who's going to kill a a one point seven trillion dollar bill over a random you know ten million dollar or, or five million dollar spending item? I mean, they're just not going to do it. It's twelve appropriations bills wrapped into one. And uh, they just shove it through right at the deadline. And if anybody opposes it, they accuse you of wanting to put federal workers out of, uh, you know, out of a job right at Christmas time. And, you know, it often happens at Christmas time. And the reason that is, is because they pass. So this bill funds through next September, which is the fiscal year. The end of the fiscal year comes around and they're not ready. So they pass a CR, continuing resolution, to buy them some more time, you know, early December. And then uh, or even before that, and then they're not ready when that deadline comes. So they pass another CR and then they're not ready when that deadline comes. So they pass another CR until it's Christmas Eve. They don't do it now. The next Republican Congress is going to do it. And Democrats don't want that. Although House Republicans and even some Senate Republicans have been pushing for that. So that's, I think hopefully the background kind of understands like what, why does this keep happening? What's going on here? What are the motivations? Democrats really want to pass something while they have the majority before this new Congress takes over and Republicans are opposing it for very much the same reason. They, they want to pass a smaller bill um, that folk funds more to the border, things like that. But I don't, I don't think they're going to have their will. The Senate just passed one and, and they don't have um, the votes in the House. So by the time our listeners hear this, there may already been a vote in the House in favor of this legislation. So you expect it to pass is what you're saying. And President Biden will will sign it. I think so. Yeah. If there was going to be a, a any victory, I think we would have seen it by now. For Republicans. And of course, not to belabor the point that it's 4,155 pages or so, plus or minus a few. Um, it was introduced on Tuesday. No way in any, no way anybody right. read this whole thing. No, no. Maybe one committee staffer who is, has a migraine right now probably read it all, but your average lawmaker, I mean, they get summaries. I mean, you know, I've, I've, pretty familiar with how the hill works they give them summaries they give them top line numbers they meet with staffers staffers on relevant committees who really care about certain issues they know how much spending is for things in their section so if you know a um a lawmaker who's on defense committees or or intelligence or something them and their staff will know how much defense funding is in it and they really work on that maybe there's a military base in their district they work hard to make sure their military base and others are getting enough funding they don't know what kind of climate spending or border spending or whatever different thing is. It's just impossible to know um, when they make such large bills at, at the last minute. Well, maybe this is a, a, an early holiday president for um, outgoing Speaker Nancy Pelosi with Republicans taking over control of the House. She is not going to be seeking a leadership position. You got to pass the bill before you know what's in it. <laughs> oh, wow. What a, a great way to honor her. She leaves. Yeah. That's a famous quote for sure. And you mentioned the billions in additional funding for, uh, for U- Ukraine, Ukrainian descent, mm-hmm. defense in their war against um, Russia. Speaking of Ukraine, uh, their president, Zelensky, uh, visited the, the White House in Congress um, yesterday. Yeah, he, um, President Joe Biden invited him, of course. He's fending off and has been for months now of the Russian invasion of his country. Russia has made some inroads, but didn't just sweep the nation and uh, take it over quickly as many experts expected. They've put up a fight. Of course, that's been helped along by, you know, billions and billions of dollars in you know taxpayer funding going to 
their um for humanitarian aid but also for military funding to buy weapons for ukraine I mean, i think ukraine would have been done a long time ago if it hadn't been for the pocketbooks of you know the u.s treasury so we're keep we're kind of propping up this proxy war with russia um with russia via ukraine it's obviously very very dicey um, russia is a nuclear nuclear threat um and they have brought that up and <laughs> they have reminded us of that recently but um, um, Vladimir Zelensky, he came to D.C. He was invited by Nancy Pelosi to speak, and he did address Congress last night. You know, I think everybody – and these speeches are interesting. It was unprecedented to have something like this in recent, you know, political memory. I mean, a lot of people compared it to when, when Winston Churchill came um, to the White House, in part because Zelensky took a lot of flack, oddly enough. Uh, maybe he wasn't ready to step into the pettiness of American politics, but he didn't wear a suit. He didn't wear a suit and people gave him a really hard time about that. And then others were saying, well, look, you know, um, Churchill didn't wear a suit when he came. And so it's kind of, it quickly devolves, but what he wants is what he's been calling for via video and speech, you know, uh, week after, you know, month after month this year, which is more funding. And he gladly is accepting this 45 billion, but he wants more. He's, you know, it's not enough. He's going to need more than that to keep up this um, resistance to, to Russia. I don't care whether he wore a suit or not, but there there should be significant debate over American taxpayers, you know, spending as much money as there as we have uh, in defense of Ukraine. Early on, you know, back in February when Russia uh, initially invaded uh, Ukraine, yeah, there were a handful of voices questioning whether the the U.S. should get involved by funding Ukraine. But it seems to be those voices are getting a, are growing and getting a little bit louder. There has been some pushback on the U.S. funding of the Ukraine war. Yeah, I mean, you know, this happens with a lot of wars. People just get war weary. You know, there's initially a lot of support when the war begins, but um, more and more questions, uh, you know, start to arise. And that's happening in particular among Republicans. And now um, I think in some ways you can't blame them because some of the recent or just look at the the wars of U.S. history in the last, you know, 60 years. I mean, they haven't all been, you know, in retrospect, they haven't. Uh, had the same um, shimmer that they had when we got into these conflicts, especially in far off lands. Most Americans don't couldn't name two cities, and you know. So, um, I think you're going to see continuous resistance. It'll be really interesting to see when Republicans have the House if they're really willing to put a stand against Ukraine funding. Often, when Republicans are in the minority, they you know they raise a big ruckus and they oppose things and they make speeches. But when they have the power, they don't actually do the things that they were. You know, they kind of just start to let a lot of stuff slide. So, and I think that in the last twenty years, we've seen that a lot from Republicans, where they don't always uh, follow through. They're big talk in the minority, but when it comes time for them to for them to govern, they don't have the same backbone that they let on with some of their rhetoric. So, whether they will actually push through um, uh, or, or stand up to the Ukraine funding when they have the majority remains to be seen. But you could, you know, in their defense, you would say, well, there are plenty of. Um, Republicans who do have the backbone, but there's always these moderate Republicans who side with the Dems, and that does happen a lot. So we'll just have to see. Right now, Ukraine funding does have a majority support. I don't see that going away in the next, you know, few months. But give it a few more months after that, and who who knows how the situation will change. Also, this week, uh, Casey, not a slow news news week at all heading into uh, the Christmas holiday. Um, more news uh, on the border crisis. Um, uh, the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice John Roberts agreed to take up a challenge uh, to the Biden administration's plan to end Title 42 enforcement. 
Title 42 was a Trump era health authority um, that allowed border agents to immediately or quickly expel uh, uh, immigrants who illegally crossed the border over fears of them spreading COVID-19. That was scheduled um, to end on Wednesday of this week, just yesterday. Um, Some states challenged it. The Supreme Court put a hold on the Biden administration's plans. Um, and now we're waiting on a final decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, you you laid it out pretty well, but what's um, you know, Title Forty Two has been really what's holding the floodgates back at the southern border. So there's been a record surge of illegal immigrants at the southern border since President Joe Biden took office. Um, he has you know changed certain mechanisms within um, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol uh, (CBP) to make it harder to catch or um, detain illegal immigrants. And he's definitely changed it for ICE, which is in charge of catching and deporting illegal immigrants when they're in the country. We've talked about this before in the podcast, but he's made it a lot harder to deport, almost impossible to deport any illegal immigrants unless they have some kind of criminal record. So, you know, word has gotten out that if you can get into the U.S., you're pretty much safe. I mean, Border Patrol will tell you, hey, come back for this hearing um, on this date. But, um, you know, the vast, vast majority... um, of migrants don't come back for the hearing. They just, you know, head north. And uh, once they're there, if ICE catches them, they're not going to deport them. So they know even getting caught crossing um, the border into the U.S. doesn't even mean that you're going to get rejected. Often you can get caught, processed, released into the U.S. and don't come back for your court date. You're not going to get deported, at least under this administration. What Title 42 did in the name of preventing the spread of COVID into the U.S., it empowered these border agents to expel people quickly. Um, because, you know, they could have COVID and bring it to the U.S. That was the reasoning behind it. Now, critics said that this was just like using COVID to keep immigrants out of the country. And it was kind of abusing um, COVID pandemic powers. But the um, those on the other side would just say, hey, there's a crisis at the border. And this is, you know, the executive branch is not enforcing the law as well. So we have to do what we can. Um, there's also questions about states' rights versus the federal government. To what degree do these states step in and deport people, or they can't really deport people, but um, secure their own border? So, eventually, this has been dysfunctional for a long time, and now the Supreme Court, right before the expiration of that Title Forty Two, says, "Hey, we're going to take a look at this." So, it'll be interesting to see. I think the Supreme Court has this habit lately of taking on the most dysfunctional, gridlocked, impossible issues, like they did with abortion. So I don't think they're going to help their popularity, whatever they rule on this. Um, but right. it, it could create some movement on the issue. Well, in, in, in Texas Governor Greg Abbott, the, the state that is seeing the biggest um, impacts of uh, of the open borders under the Biden administration, um, uh, he has been pleading with President Biden since he almost nearly since he took office to to, to enforce U.S. immigration law, um, close the borders. And deport illegal crossers, et cetera. None of that is is really happening this week. Now, depending on where you are uh, in the country, you might have some bad weather either already there or coming your head near way, including in Texas at the southern border where they're expecting uh, below freezing temperatures. This week, he, he sent a letter um, to President Biden pleading with him uh, to provide humanitarian aid because a lot of these folks who are being released into communities don't have a place to live. They're gathering. They're they're sleeping on streets, street corners, and things like that. And 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 Greg Abbott said, with the with actual winter weather coming to the state, that that could uh, end up resulting in a lot of deaths. 
yeah, even in sunny Texas, the weather, um, the coming weather is going to be pretty, pretty severe, especially if you're sleeping outside. I mean, and, and this may sound like overblown rhetoric uh, to some people, but, you know, El Paso has declared a, a state of emergency because there's so many migrants. And we're talking about thousands and thousands every week coming across um, and they're walking into El Paso. I'm like, hey, we're here. You know, what do we do? And these local, you know, local towns, even counties are having to handle these large influxes of people and they don't have the resources to do it. So like you said, I mean, there's documentaries, there's, you know, Twitter is full of these videos of people, just large homeless encampments, but they're families. They're not, you know, one-off people. There's, there's huge communities, families, and um, they've, <laughs> I think they've been made some promises. And of course, cartels are, have helped, you know, get some of them over here, but they're, um, they're really in a precarious position now. And so, as you said, Abbott's asked for federal help, but these are all band-aids on, on this bigger issue. Um, and I, I don't think anyone knows how to solve it. And I think, you know, at least half the country doesn't really want to solve it. You referenced um, El Paso declaring a state of emergency. And one, one of Governor Greg Abbott, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's, you know, plans um, to uh, address this issue was to start this past summer. He started busing uh, migrants to city to um, sanctuary cities, so-called sanctuary cities, um, such as Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago. Now Philadelphia is on the list. The mayors of those cities declared emergencies when they're getting a fraction of the number of people that places like El Paso are saying. Yeah, I mean, it turns out that all the rhetoric on both sides and speeches uh, <laughs> don't really mean much when you have actually a thousand people just walking around your town who don't have any, anywhere to stay, anywhere to go. I mean, a lot of these mayors and local officials have to actually solve the problems created by this, not just give speeches in Washington, like the Republicans and Democrats have been doing for a long time. So you're right. I mean, and I think it probably was kind of laughable to some of these border border states that such such a low number of uh, migrants caused a state of emergency. I mean, what Philadelphia received could be what El Paso receives in one afternoon, but Philadelphia um, declared a state of emergency. So this is real problems. I mean, we can't, I don't, I'm not going to propose a solution. That's not my role, but I do think that, uh, these mayors, these border towns, they're calling out for help. These border state governors are calling out for help and um, for some kind of solution. And it's not it's not there right now. Moving on, Casey, I don't know that we've talked about uh, this next story on uh, America in Focus yet, but the collapse of the digital asset company uh, FTX, the arrest of its uh, former CEO and the fallout from that. You wrote about that this week. Yeah, Dan, this um, it may be bad news. I don't know if your Trump NFT digital trading cards were they in, are were were they? I heard they sold out before I had a chance to get. Oh, get so you didn't you didn't actually get one? I, I, I thought you would be first in line. Yeah, I missed up my I missed my opportunity. Wow, well, those are uh, priceless collectibles. I'm really sad. I know you're mourning that, but yeah, um, this FTX scandal has been. It's gonna. It's kind of a tech story, but it has real political implications. I'll try to. Simplify it. FTX is a digital asset um, trading company. That a big part of that is crypto, and so it was. It was started um, by this guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, um, and he has some um, co- a cohort of guys who are um, who help who are helping him. But um, Sam and all of his cohort are actually looking at criminal um, investigation. Even Sam um, Bankman-Fried is facing charges because this this FTX company. It just skyrocketed in popularity. It's one of the top crypto digital asset firms in the world. It's getting all this money. And then it just almost overnight, not quite overnight, but almost overnight, just cratered. And 
we're talking billions and billions of dollars lost. It's now looking like um, Bankman-Fried allegedly was taking money from the company to shore up his hedge fund. Um, a lot of people who had money in this company, it's just gone. Like they're never going to get it back. Um, it was just lost. And so it's definitely a black eye for crypto um, and for the you know efficacy of it, the safety of it, the security of it. Um, but the, the political angle here is it turns out that um, Bankman-Fried was a big donor and he actually gave, um, a, you know, almost $40 million in political donations to Democrats. We also saw reporting from the Washington Examiner that he was taking out um, federal regulators and whining and dining them. So this has raised a lot of questions and, and I think this will be a source of, of course, this criminal investigation, but maybe even more investigation um, because this guy who apparently just um, hoodwinked a lot of people. I mean, that's, you know, nothing's been proven in court yet, but that's what that's what's being said. Um, he was giving a lot of money to um, to a lot of powerful people and taking them um, for some from for some nice dinners and things. So now it's like, hey, what, was anyone turning a blind eye? That's going to be the source of investigation. Um, and I, I don't know what I don't know what the uh, the result of that will be, but I know that the point Republicans keep hammering is he gave um, only a few hundred thousand dollars to Republicans, and he gave tens of millions to oh, Democrats. Wow. Well, we'll yeah. continue to follow the. Uh... The fallout um, from Matt. I think I heard heard today too that a judge agreed to allow um, him to be uh, released on bail, two hundred and fifty yep. million dollar bail. If he's able to post that, then he's still got a lot of people's money. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good. I mean, people when people are that rich, they are really high flight risk because they can go anywhere and disappear. All right, got, just got a brief uh, uh, minute or two, Casey, to talk about. One more story. It wouldn't be American focus in 2022 if we didn't talk about inflation in some way. Um, uh, you wrote about a, a recently released uh, data or survey uh, this week that shows that a majority of Americans um, are having to live paycheck to paycheck because of the higher prices of everything. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of Americans, hopefully you're done with your Christmas shopping, but uh, I'm sure there's a few husbands and dads out there who are going to be running out tomorrow night and the, and the night after getting a, a last minute gift. But Casey, I'm, I'm disappointed. That's a very sexist point of view. Oh, it is entirely. I'm happy to discriminate against the, the dads of this country when it comes to Christmas shopping. I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I think you're actually projecting now. Tell me honestly, Dan, have you bought all your presents? Yes or no? Yes, I am done. Oh, I don't believe it for a second. Absolutely not. You can, we've got a blizzard coming our, our way, like right now. I'm not going out anywhere in the next two days. Okay. Right. I'm even making my wife go go pick up our daughter and her, uh, her parents at the airport if they make it today. You're gonna make your wife go drive in the in the black ice. <laughs> you know, I can't. Wow. She wanted to. She. she oh she no! There's no recovering from this. I'm sorry, America. How can you? How can we even trust this man with our news? Can't even be trusted. But uh, I don't know how recovering. Uh, yeah, something about payments. It's a group that does. You know. Well, they released this survey and it found that um, more Americans are saying they're living paycheck to paycheck. Of course, the holidays are a bad time for that. Um, and 50, interestingly, 57% of those um, American consumers who say they're living paycheck to paycheck say that inflation has really hurt their um, financial situation, which makes a lot of sense. Of course, we talked a lot about the podcast on about record inflation and um, certain issues like you know grocery prices, prices, which have even outpaced the already high um, inflation numbers of, of other goods. So, um, if you're one of those Americans, uh, you know, 
hopefully your shopping is already done. Hopefully you're able to stay in budget this year. And hopefully you pick your own wife and family up from the airport and don't send your the love of your life into the black ice uh, blizzard. You end with jokes. Casey. <laughs> very, very nice. Of course, thank you for all this great, great news, though, that we got to talk about today. Um, just a few days before Christmas. Way to, way to close the uh, year 2022 on a positive note. Right. <laughs> that is all the time we have, uh, though, this Casey. Thank you for your insight. Um, want to wish all of our listeners uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, um, whatever uh, you practice. Please stay safe out there. There is bad weather. Uh, for Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.